If you saw or watched the National Prayer Breakfast this week, you heard a powerful and an excellent brief message by Arthur Brooks. Just a couple of years ago, I met Arthur. We sat at tables beside each other, and I was taken not only with his brilliance, but with his ability to communicate the gospel. God has placed Arthur in a position of influence with thought leaders in our nation and with politicians. And he was in a tough spot this week at the National Prayer Breakfast. The day before, President Trump had been acquitted of impeachment charges by the Senate. And Arthur was seated between President Trump and Nancy Pelosi. And I thought, wow, what a pickle to be in. And then I have to be honest, just forgive me, I was kind of green with envy because I'd have loved to have been the one preaching. And Arthur stood up and shared a little bit about his testimony in coming to know Jesus. And then he talked about the bitterness that divides our nation. Of course, immediately my ears perked up because I knew that's what I was preaching on today. He said he had given a talk. He's a conservative thought leader, conservative Christian. And he had given a talk where he said that liberals were not necessarily evil. And he said right after he got done, a lady rushed up out of the crowd, pointed her finger in his face and said, you're wrong. Liberals are evil. Liberals are bad. And he said, I thought to myself, my parents, I grew, he grew up in Seattle, Washington. My parents are history teachers and art professors at a university in Seattle. And he says, everybody in Seattle is a liberal. And he said, my parents aren't evil. My parents aren't bad. He said, they're good, kind, loving people. So he went on then to talk about how we could disagree without becoming contemptuous of the people that we disagree with. He said, because when we're contemptuous of the people we disagree with, we're basically telling them their lives don't matter. They don't matter. He said, as a Christian, he says, I follow not only his example, but I believe the teachings of Jesus who says, love your enemies. He said, doesn't mean we don't disagree, but we never persuade anybody by insulting them. At this point, the camera panned out. President Trump was looking down like this. Nancy Pelosi was moving around like, like she did on the State of the Union speech. And I'm chuckling. I'm like, this is too good. <laughs> go, Arthur, go. He said, when you love somebody, you're not contemptuous of them. When you love your enemies, you're not contemptuous of them. And he says, when you love somebody, you only wish good for them. You may disagree with them, and you may work for opposite ends, but you only wish good for them. How many of you in this room love your enemies? And people all over the room lifted their hands 
as some of you are doing right now. Arthur was doing this. And he said, how many of you pray that God will bless your enemies? It was a powerful message. You can get the full transcript of it several places. I encourage you to read it. Well, in a few minutes, President Trump stood up and said, Arthur, that was a great message. It was a great message. It was a good message. I just don't know that I agree with it. And then he launched into what you've all read and watched about on the news. And then Nancy Pelosi later launched in and read about on the news. But President Trump said something that I thought was very telling. He said, I'm trying. I know this is not the way, but I'm learning. Some of what I'm going to preach this morning, like the president, you may have to learn. But I want to caution you. Bitterness is something you have to defeat. What President, what President Corey, what Pastor Corey read to you this morning was watch out that no poisonous root, poisonous root grows in your life, corrupts your marriage, corrupts your children, corrupts your community, corrupts the people you love most because of the bitterness you allow to grow in your heart. Like I said in my communion meditation just now, some can't remember the message from last week on God's perfect presence in this imperfect world, but they can remember in vivid detail, in technicolor, what happened to them 42 years ago that they're bitter about. That's a poisonous root that grows up, and that then it begins to affect the people you love most. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads with me. Pastor Corey's already asked you to stand and pray, but I want to pray for you now. Lord, there are a lot of people that have been praying with me about this message today. One is I need the prayer. And two, I know that it's possible there are people that this message is going to hit right between the eyes. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help me to preach in such a way that each of us, including this pastor, realize how deeply loved we are by you and how dangerous it is for us to allow anything to become bitter in our lives. We ask you all of this now, Holy Spirit, and we pray that when we walk out of this room, as Arthur said to the National Prayer Breakfast, that we'll walk out of here into the mission field called the world. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks, Lisa. I want to take you to the story of Job this morning. Job is one of those books that I have not preached through yet. I'm looking forward to preaching through it. It's like Revelation. It's one of those books that I have had to wrestle with and wrestle with over the years, not in believing it, but just grasping the full message of what Job is all about. We had a small group go through Job here, and I would get telephone calls from people in the group asking me this or that about the book of Job. It's a sad book that ends on a very, very joyful note. 
It's a hard book to read and to understand. It's probably the oldest book in the Bible, the oldest written book in the Bible. Job was a wealthy, powerful, and influential man. And we're led to believe in the book that Job was probably the wealthiest man alive at the time. Job was a man who God had prospered and blessed, but in a single day because of the accusations of Satan and somehow or another in God's sovereign providential will, he allowed these calamities to come into Job's life just as in God's sovereignty Christ bore your sins and my sins to the cross knowing from the very beginning that in order to save us he would have to do so. That's an important theological concept to come to grips with. Nothing comes our way except what the Holy Spirit allows in God's sovereignty. But whatever comes our way, God intends for us to conquer and overcome. Can you say amen? We won't conquer it in our own flesh, in our own strength. That's the reason we have to have the will of God. We have to have the mind of God. In a single day, Job's family was wiped out by terrorists with the exception of his wife. Job had been a man who offered prayers and sacrifices for his children every day in case they had sinned. It's a practice that Becky and I have maintained in our lives for our children and now our grandsons as they've gotten older that each and every day we pray for them, Lord, in case they have sinned, convict them, turn their hearts to you, let them not be deceived by sin. And by the way, it's what I pray for Becky that having been saved and washed from the blood of Jesus, that God will never allow her to be turned aside or tested in a way that her faith would be compromised. It's what I pray for you. It's what I pray that you pray for me. It's a pattern and an example that we take seriously as we fight, as we looked at two weeks ago, the spiritual warfare that we're in in this imperfect world as we serve a perfect God. Not only did terrorists wipe out his family, but that very same day, natural disasters came and wiped out all of his wealth. Job went from being the wealthiest man in the world to being among the poorest men in this world. For all of his livestock and all of his crops were instantly wiped out. In all of this, Job still didn't sin by turning his back on God or cursing God. And so when the sons of God, Satan among them, came one more time before the Lord, Satan said to God, the only reason this is happening, and God was not buffaloed, bullied, or anything else by the devil, but God was testing and proving to all the heavens. And the Bible tells us that it's the church that God is proving through us to all the heavenly powers of His greatness and His amazing grace in our lives. God then allowed Satan to touch Job's body because he said, let me afflict him with boils and he will curse you to his face and die. And still in all of this, Job did not die. But he went through a horrible time. He's very transparent and honest about it. Look at Job chapter 30 and verse 26 with me this morning. I expected good, but evil showed up. I looked for light, but darkness fell. And my stomach's in a constant churning and never settles down. It's like he's got from anxiety and worry, his stomach is always upset. And I can't tell you how many times through the years I've heard this same story. Pastor, this is not what I expected. Pastor, this is not what I asked God for. This is not the way I anticipated life would be. This is not what I expected from retirement. This is not what I thought would happen when I had children or when I got married. I could tell you hundreds of different ways I've heard this same thing. 
I've heard men tell me, say, I can't stay out of the bathroom because my stomach is churning. I've had women tell me I have ulcers and fear has gripped them. And this story that Job lived is a story that you and I live sometime in our lives. Maybe some of you this morning, you feel like Job. Your health, your wealth, your family, even your prestige or reputation in the community or posterity, you feel like is about to be taken away from you because of what God has allowed into your life. But the good news from the Word of the Lord is, fear not. Be strong. Be of good courage. Have faith in God. As we looked at three weeks ago in this series on a perfect God in an imperfect world, Jesus is the Alpha and Jesus is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end and everything that lies in the middle will pale in comparison to the end of the story. Can you say amen? We go through these battles. We go through these trials in life. And one of the best ways to defeat bitterness is to be honest with God about what you're bitter about. Be honest with God about what you're worried about. Be honest with God about how you're feeling. You see, honesty with God about your emotions is one of the truest forms of worship. Honesty about God, about how you're feeling, shows that you trust God. God can handle your emotions. God created you with emotions. God created you with all of the emotions that you experience this week, and I can't remember which magazine I read it in. I think it's the Atlantic, if you want to Google it, but I believe it was in the Atlantic magazine. I read that there are over 70 different emotions that human beings experience. And I thought to myself, well, I am somewhat emotionally truncated and deprived because I could only name about a dozen emotions that I experienced in life. And that might not surprise any of you that know me, but some of you in here, you may have experienced all 70 of those emotions that take place, but God created you with those emotions and trying to cover them up or deny them or bury them. In no way is, is, does God want you to be dishonest with Him about that. God knows how you feel. And so I'd like for you to look at three reasons the Bible tells us why we are bitter. Why am I bitter? What makes us bitter? And Jesus addresses all three of these in the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, we're bitter because of what has been done to us, according to Matthew 5 and verse 38. Now, all of these are on the, the website or on the app. If you don't, they're not in your outline. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says the punishment must be matched, the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. In other words, what's been done to us? A friend of mine gave his heart to Christ. He's a diesel Mack truck mechanic. He was starting out his life as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He's a muscular, strongly built guy. And if you'll pardon my French, he was a bit of a hell raiser before he gave his heart to Jesus. But God did a change like light from darkness in his life. And one day, one of the other mechanics at the diesel truck plant that he worked at came up to him and said, Russell, I hear that you've become a Christian. And Russell said, yes. And he began to tell him about what the Lord had done. The guy looked at Russell, spit tobacco juice at his feet, and then slapped him across the face. Russell, with tears in his eyes, said, Pastor, before I knew what I had done, I had decked him. He said, I knocked him out. I hit him so hard. Sometimes when things are done to us, we react in unholy ways. 
And there's always grace. We're always growing in this. And so I don't want you to feel like as I preach through this that I am Mr. Perfection here. I still wrestle with the same sins that everybody else wrestles with. But there is hope and there is victory in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? So sometimes we become bitter about what has been done to us. Sometimes we're bitter because of what has been said about us. People who gossip about us or who take what we've said or try to turn it or twist it and make it mean something evil. Jesus also in this same sermon says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Right. How many of you lift your hands and say, I get happy when somebody says bad things about me. You're sick if you do. He says, be happy about it. And when you get God's perspective on it, they're saying these things, not because you're bad or not because you're evil, but because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people will say things about you trying to take away your testimony. And then the third thing is we get bitter because of what's been taken from us. Jesus goes on in this message to say in Matthew 5 and verse 40, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat to if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. These are the things that if we're not careful because things have been stolen or taken from us. It can not only be material things, but it can be things that we hold close and dear to our hearts, like a marriage or our health. And Lander says, bitterness is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is stored as well as destroy the object on which it is poured. It's why those words that Pastor Corey read to us are so important and powerful. Be careful that no bitter roots spring up within you. You know, those of you who garden or maintain a lawn, you know that if you don't get some weeds up, they will multiply from the roots. Some weeds send out runners and send out more blades. You know, if you don't dig the tree up, it'll come right back. It's, it's that root of bitterness that grows in our lives. And the horrible thing about it is, it's not just what it does to me if I become bitter, it's what it does to other people that are close to me that I touch and impact their lives. It's how it affects my witness, it is how it affects my countenance. In the book, None of These Diseases, S.I. Macmillan wrote, the moment I start hating a man, I become a slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. Now think about that. The moment I become bitter, I am no longer in charge of my thoughts. But my thought life is controlled by the grip that the bitterness has on me about this other person. He can be eating a steak, and I'm eating myself alive with bitterness. My resentments produce too many stress hormones in my body. I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. The man I hate hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. What's he saying? that because of bitterness, I can never get away from these thoughts. His name is in my bed. His name is in my workplace. His name is in my thoughts. His name is when I least expect it, and I wonder, why am I so tormented? The man I hate may be many miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than the slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. The lowliest of serfs can sleep, but not I. I must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man on whom I pour the vials of my wrath. 
Those are deep and heavy words. On our family night this week, we watched the movie Harriet, the story of Harriet Tubman. I could not stop the tears coming out of my eyes. I couldn't stop the anger that I felt as I saw the part of the country that I grew up in, how the slaves were treated. And there at the end, I saw the marvelous faith of Harriet Tubman when she could have killed the man who had hunted and tormented her, and she threw the rifle away and said these words to me, to him, God never meant that men could own men. And she rode away. What a life of faith. What a life that disagreed, listen, that disagreed strenuously like Arthur Brooks said, but refused to hate the people that had done so much evil in her life. What a life that lived that disobeyed the slave fugitive law and still rescued slaves because sometimes it's right when the laws of men contradict the laws of God to do what is right. And she continued to rescue and lead slaves to freedom in Canada. Bitterness is something that can ruin and destroy our lives and cause us to justify the torture rack that we put ourselves upon. But when all of this happened to Job, look at how Job responded. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. King James Version, he rent. It's a Middle Eastern custom. We don't do that today, but... He just, it was a sign of his grief. He ripped his clothes and then he shaved his head, another custom, and he fell to the ground in worship. Not in bitterness, not in complaint, but he fell to the ground and he worshiped the Lord. This, this is humility. This is devotion. This is consecration. This is faith, oh fire. This is faith being tested in the fiery furnace of much affliction. Job experienced all of the emotions that all of us experience when we go through these times in our life. He experienced anger. He lost his family to the thieves. He experienced shock as all of his wealth was taken away. He experienced deep grief as he mourned the loss of his family. And he experienced the tormenting fear that came as his health was destroyed. And the Bible describes his body as so racked with boils that he sat at the local garbage dump. It was the only place he could be. And he would scrape the maggots out of his skin. I don't mean to be gross, but I want you to see the depths of the trouble that Job went through. And still, he did not blame God. This, friends, is worship. But Job did not hold in his emotions. He expressed his fear. He expressed his anger. He expressed his shock. He expressed his grief. Because God can handle any emotion that you and I have. He can handle it. And sometimes, rather than dumping all over other people, it's a good thing to come first to the Lord and bow and worship and be honest with God about how you feel. As a matter of fact, I can think of no truer way to worship than to be honest with God about how you feel. Get up, Lamentations 2.19 says, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. God, 
I don't know how much more I can take. God, I feel like I'm going to lose everything. God, I am so angry. God, I am so afraid. God, I'm so worried. Those things do not bother God. You are trusting God with your emotions. Spill your guts. Pour out your heart like water. Instead of letting your mind be tormented by Satan and by bitterness, pour out that bitterness to the Lord and let God pour His amazing grace into your life. There is grace and there is power to overcome every trial that we go through. Lift up your hands to Him. In other words, lift your hands up in prayer and surrender and say, Lord, I trust You. I trust You. I may lose everything I have. I may lose every friend I have. But I trust in You. And some of you, you've been to that place where it looked like you might lose everything. Some of you, you've never cast it all on the line to accomplish something for God. And what holds you back is the fear of losing the little you have. I want to tell you something. There is nothing too great to risk for the Lord. And as you follow Him, you will find that God is always amazing. Now, there have been times, and I will be honest, I have said to God, God, I don't understand this. And sir, that's when you know I'm really being serious with the Lord. Sir, I'm having a little problem trusting you right now. I have four amazing kids. Four amazing kids. I love them so much. You know that. I remember when my word was the gospel to my children. Those were the days, my friend. There was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Daddy. It was. They trusted everything I said to them. If I told them, and I never did, but if I told them the moon was made of green cheese, they'd have believed it because Daddy said it. Then they became teenagers. And they began to question my judgment on some things. Sometimes it would come about at the dinner table, <laughs> we would be having a conversation, and one of them would say, Can we read that in another translation, please? Or, Dad, what does the Greek really mean right there? You know what I mean? Trying to, to just, you know, get everything to work out the way they wanted to work out. And then as they got even older, there were times when they would question my judgment. And there is no sweeter words to hear from your kids and when they get older than to hear them say, Dad, you were right. Oh, if you have not heard those words, hang on. Life gets much better. But one thing my kids never did, even though they questioned my judgment, they never questioned my love for them. And sometimes when I don't understand what's going on, and I may say to God, God, I'm not sure I understand. I'm having difficulty having faith. Build my faith. Increase my faith. This I know. Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. And that will build your faith, brothers and sisters. That will sustain you because you know that God will carry you through. In Psalms 116 and verse 10, David, who experienced no amount of problems and at times feeling abandoned, at times questioning God, at times challenging God, David said these words, read them with me, I believed in you, so I said, I'm deeply troubled. Why did he say that? Because he believed in God. God can handle your emotions. Secondly, You have to make a choice. It's a choice to refuse to become bitter. It's a choice that all of us have to make. I have to make the choice that no matter what has happened in life, 
I can't become bitter. I can't allow my fear. I can't allow my shock. I can't allow my worry, my grief to turn into bitterness. Because bitterness is just basically saying, God, I don't trust you. The Lysinus family is going through that at the bedside of their brother and her, Mrs. Lysinus' son today, trusting God. When Mark said those words to me over the phone this week, Pastor, we need a miracle. There are times in our lives when we don't understand. Bitterness is saying, I can't see the big picture. Friends, there are many times I can't see the big picture because I live in the middle. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. But I live and I walk in the middle of the story. But in the middle of the story, what sustains me is not because I am a man of super, super big faith. It's because I know that God loves me. And if I can stand the pulling, God is going to pull me through this thing. This I know. This I know. This is what sustains us. Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. I've done over a thousand funerals. I don't know how many babies I've been with the families when they've been born. Never has a baby come into the world owning anything and never has a man left the world owning anything. I've watched people try to control it with lawyers and estates and then I've watched people take apart those wills and estates I've been called in on mediation and said, this is not what your mom, this is not what your dad wanted, but because of different lawyers and technicalities and overlooked here, things get turned around. And I've come to the conclusion more and more, my friends, I'll make the best preparations I can for that time comes. But when I breathe my last breath in this life, the end is here. The middle will pale in comparison to what I look forward to in heaven. I paid particular attention this week to all the advertisements when I watched television about protecting my future, protecting my finances, protecting my family. There is no one that can protect your future but God and God alone. In a day. And then he lost his health. So Job goes on to say, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Read this with me. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Why are you here? Why do you love God? Why do you serve God? If you have a daily devotion, as I ask you to have a daily quiet time, why do you have that? It surely cannot be because your life is perfect. Because Jesus never promised us a perfect life. He said in this life you will have trials and tribulations. This is earth. This is not heaven. Those that I have buried in Christ, now they know perfect. And yet they still eagerly await the resurrection of the body. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. But why do you serve God this morning? And how do you trust God when your heart is breaking, how do you trust God when your worry turns to grief, when your grief turns to pain, and when you feel that obvious thing of bitterness beginning to creep into your heart and life, and every time you remember a name, or every time you remember a place, or a song, or smell a smell, something comes back to haunt you. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to get rid of it. You need an antidote. 
I developed an ear for snakes. Dick, do you remember the time we were walking in the woods at Metro Park? And I said, Dick, stop. There's a snake. Dick said, there's no snake out there, Pastor. I said, Dick, there's a snake out there. I don't hear no snake. Dick, be still. There's a snake here. You see, when you grow up in the South, you develop an ear for snakes. If you want to live. So sure enough, Dick, look, there's the snake. Oh, you're right, Pastor, there's a snake right there. How did you know? Because I grew up around Mr. Longfellow all my life. And one of the things you had to know was an antidote. There was always a snake kit close by where we grew up at. Sometimes, if you're out on a fishing trip, they'd say, you know, we don't like you very much today. If you get bit by a snake, ain't none of us sucking that poison out and scare you to death. There's an antidote for bitterness, and that antidote is called worship. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 23, Peter is speaking to a man, and he says, I can see that you were poisoned by bitterness, and you're bound by iniquity. He's like the serpent, slewfoot, Satan, had punctured his life and injected that venom of poison into his life. Here are five things you need to know. God will never stop. Again, these are in the, the, on the website or on the app. God will never stop loving you. You gave me my life. You showed me your unfailing love. My life was prepared by your care. Number two, God has a plan for my life. He will do to me whatever He has planned. He controls my destiny. Number three, God cares about every detail of my life and of your life. He knows where I'm going, and when He tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Can you say that in the middle of your trial? Can you say that in the middle of your testing today? You know you're going to come out as pure as gold. Please look at me. This is a statement of faith. This is not a statement of confidence in myself. This is not a statement of confidence in my flesh. This is not a statement of confidence in my goodness because none of those things dwell in me by my nature, but by faith in Christ. I know that when I come through whatever trials God allows me to pass through, I will come out as pure as gold. Do you know that this morning? If you know that, that's why you're here to worship the Lord today. That's why you get up and seek His face every day. God is in control of things I don't understand. Did someone else put the world in His care who set the whole world in its place? And then finally, God will protect me. Now listen, He's suffering. Read this with me. He gives prosperity to the poor and protects those who suffer. Now, one of the difficult things is you can read the book of Job sometime and you'll hear wise things said by people that were his comforters, but they misapplied them. The act of wisdom literature is for you to look into the literature and pull out the wise truth and apply it to your life. And when I go through the book, we'll talk about that. But these five principles, I can build my life on that. Habakkuk was a man who saw his nation totally destroyed. And I believe it was John Francisco who wrote a song named off of this. We had him for one of our youth services one time years ago. And he sang this song so powerfully, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
Now think about that. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know where you're at this morning. Some of you I do. But wherever you're at in life this morning, I hope you can say these words with honesty. And if you can't say them before you leave this church today, you'll be able to say them. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The third thing I'd like you to see this morning is you not only have a choice to choose to not to be bitter, you not only need to just tell God everything that's on your heart, but you see, we've got to meet weekly to worship. We've got, there is something happening among Christians in America today. There are over a thousand people that call this church their home. Did you know that? You would never know that just by attending. But there are over a thousand people that call this church their home. There are people that call sometime and say, Pastor, and I'll go, yes. And they'll tell me their name and I'll go to Alexio and look them up because I have no idea who I'm talking to. And they'll go, Woodland's my home. I go, oh. And then I'll look to see, do I have a card where they've given their heart to Christ? Do I have a card where they've been through discovering Woodland or something like this? And then I find out there are a lot of people who just come when it's convenient. One family told me recently, says, well, you won't see us because our children are on a traveling team right now, and so you won't see us for this long. Friends, we have allowed the things of this world to come between us and the commandment to gather weekly to worship the Lord. We've allowed the things of this world to separate us from what God has meant to be an act of saving grace in our lives. We need to meet weekly with people to worship with. I need people of faith that will back me up in the experiences of my life. I need people of faith who will build my faith up. I need people of faith who will lift me up in prayer. We are better in community than we are in trying to be Lone Ranger Christians. We need one another in the body of Christ. And it's one of the reasons why we have small groups at Woodland Church. It's because we need those groups of people that we fellowship with and we see at least on a bi-weekly basis so that we come together to study the Word, to pray with one another, to lift up each other. Because when you're in pain, I am the same way. When you're in pain, you want to isolate yourself. When you're worried, you want to tunnel in darkness. When you're, when you're anxious, you want to build walls around you about yourself because you don't want anybody messing with you. But the thing you need most in pain or anxiety or when you're facing a bitter time in life, you need the people of God that will back you up, that will build you up in faith and lift you up in prayer. Somebody say amen this morning. We need those kind of people in our lives. I don't know what I would have done through the years without the people who prayed with me, been my friends, walked with me through some of the difficult times of life. In Job chapter 36 and verse 18, don't let your anger and the pain you endured, don't let it make you sneer at God. Your reputation and riches cannot protect you from distress, nor can you find safety in the dark world below. In other words, the occult. Be on guard. Don't turn to evil as a way of escape. In other words, don't turn to drugs. Don't turn to alcohol. Don't turn to illicit sex. Don't turn to pornography as a way to try and escape. You need the people of God in your life. 
Others have praised God for what he has done. Read it with me. So join with them. Let's read the whole sentence again. Others have praised God for what he has done. So join with them. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad to join with you to worship the Lord this morning. Now look at somebody you're not married to because some of you are grinning like goats eating briars looking at one another. Look at somebody you don't know this morning or you're not married to and say, I am so glad to worship God with you today. There you go. I am so glad to worship God with you today. We join together to worship God. What are we doing? We're backing one another up. We're, we're building one another up in faith and we're lifting one another up in prayer this morning. And that's what we do in our small groups on a weekly basis. And in our small groups, we can be honest with our emotions. For as I said last week, what happens in small group? Boy, I wish you knew your Bibles that well. You see, we need those people that we meet with. One thing you will find out is pain is a great equalizer of all people, whether they're rich or poor, black or white, American or some other nationality. Listen to this. I'm going to read you several verses quickly here. True wisdom and real power belong to God. From Him, from Him, we learn how to live and also what to live for. Isn't that cool? From Him, we learn how to live and also what to... That's what we're doing here this morning. We're learning how not to become bitter, how to defeat bitterness. Look at this verse. Go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. Do you know this is a proven fact? My doctor asked me one day, or told me one day, he says, I need you to drink a glass of wine every day. And I said, I don't drink. He says, well, I know you don't drink. That's the reason I'm telling you this. I want you to drink a glass of wine every day. He said, if you'll drink a glass of wine every day, you won't have to take blood pressure medication. I said, well, I'll take the blood pressure medication because I don't want to invite that into my life. There's a history of alcoholism in my family tree, and I don't want to invite any of that in my life. And then I just shared some scriptures with him why I don't use alcohol. I says, the Bible tells us it impairs our judgment. The Bible tells us that we're not to linger over it. And I just get, and he goes, I didn't know the Bible said all of that. He says, my priest drinks. And I go, okay. Who am I to argue with his priest, you know? So I started doing some research, and I'm not taking shots. At, you know, if anybody drinks a glass of wine, Jesus made the stuff, and I'm sure it was good stuff, and when I get to heaven, I'll have a glass there, okay? But anyhow, worship is a proven fact relaxes you. When you worship God, it lowers your stress. When you worship God, it lowers your heart rate. Now, if you go with the students to youth convention, I can't guarantee all of those facts to be true. Because they're doing this and this and this and this. And I'm still amazed I can still do that. But not for long. I mean, when they worship, it's like a calisthenics class. But true worship, waiting upon the Lord, singing to the Lord, meditating upon the Lord, it's a healthy thing to do. And that's not why we do it. But listen to what the Bible says. Those who worship God will be encouraged. How many of you feel encouraged already this morning? Can I see your hands? How many of you say, I'd be encouraged if you'd pick it up a pace or two, all right? Don't raise your hands. So look at Psalm 63, too. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. And then let me share one more scripture with you. <clears throat> because this scripture, if you want to come back, if you want to get back, if you want to come overcome this thing, 
because you are praying for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ is helping me, I know this trouble will bring my freedom because you are praying for me. I need people to back me up in life. I need people to build up my faith in life. And I need people to lift me up in prayer. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Two things and I'll be very brief. Trust God for my future. I can't see tomorrow, but I trust God for my future. None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what tomorrow holds. I was reading an evaluation to go back to my introduction this morning of where all the bitter divisiveness came from in our nation. And the author of the article I was reading says it goes all the way back to the days of Watergate. And then as I read his reading of history and political history in our nation of what happened when I was 17 years old, as I read his history, it seemed to make sense. It intensified with the election of Bill Clinton. It intensified with the, the impeachment of Bill Clinton. It intensified when President Bush was elected and the Supreme Court had to make that decision, that final call. It intensified when President Obama was elected. It intensified again when President Trump was elected. The author of the article I was reading says, I see no future hope for America unless America overcomes her bitter divide. Friends, I see no future for the hope of America in Democrats and Republicans. I see the hope of America in the born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled church of the living God. We are the salt and the light of the earth. We are the salt and the light of the earth. And as Arthur said so beautifully in his remarks at the National Prayer Breakfast, we cannot show contempt. We must love our enemies. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Can you say amen to that? Job said, and I'm skipping ahead there, Adam, if you want to follow with me, Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And then finally, Jesus will renew my joy. Jesus will renew my joy. Sweetheart, if you come on up to the keyboard. I'm out of gas, so I need to wrap this up. I preached too hard in the first service this morning. Thank you. I got it. Thank you. Some of the folks who call me who read the book of Job, I think one of the things that encourages them when I talk to them is to the best of our knowledge, theologians say that Job's troubles lasted for a year. That's a long time. Lasted for a year. But everybody that's ever called me says, only a year? I said, a year is a long time if you're walking through it. But in the span of a life of 80 years, a year is not that long, is it? And the beauty of the story of Job is is that God blessed him doubly at the end of his life. How many of you, for your trouble, would like a double blessing this morning? Okay, I'll try one more time. I don't know if y'all heard that, but Siri just asked me to try again. How many of you would like, for your trouble, a double blessing from God? Can I see your hands? That was too good to pass up. Just too good to pass up. 
That was fun. How many of you would like, for your trouble, a double blessing? Let me see your hand again. That's what God did for Job. You see, he's the Alpha and the Omega. Everything in the middle will pale in comparison to what's at the end. Jesus said, I've told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. And because Jesus has conquered, he has made us more than conquerors according to the book of Romans. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? You are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. So stand with me to your feet this morning. These people who troubled Job and misapplied their advice and wisdom, God told Job, pray for them. Arthur Brooks had President Trump and Nancy Pelosi squirming because what he was saying was, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who insult you. Pray for those who falsely accuse you. I don't think either one of them did (laughs) because both of them vented their frustration and their anger and grief and I don't blame either one of them. I know it must be difficult, but that's difficult medicine to take. But God said to Job, pray for your friends. Job had told them, you're miserable comforters. Get away from me. They weren't the kind of comforters that I've talked to you about. They weren't people who backed him up. They weren't people who built him up. They weren't people who lifted them up in faith, in prayer. But they blamed Job for his troubles. And sometimes the things you're going through are no fault of your own. But God has allowed the wicked one who hates you to come against you, to test your faith, and to try your faith. But you will come through it, and you will have faith that is purer than gold, and you will get double for your trouble. Amen? Look at this. And after Job interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune, say it with me, then doubled it. Father in heaven, I lift my family in Christ and my friends up to you today. Lord, I am wary of a root of bitterness in my life or in my children's life or in the lives of this church that I love so deeply. And so I'm asking you right now to search our hearts. God, search us with the searchlight of your word and your Holy Spirit. And God, if we're in danger of a root of bitterness taking place, putting out its little runners into our lives, we come this morning boldly in the name of Jesus to worship you. Every head is bowed. Everyone from the sound room to the platform, with the exception of myself, you say, Pastor, I'm struggling with bitterness. I needed this word this morning. Would you lift up your hand this morning? No one's looking but me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My beloved friends. Leave it up before the Lord. No one's looking. Now lift your other hand. No one's looking and just begin to love him, trust him, worship him. No one's looking, but in every section, I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, take this word and build them up in their most holy faith and heal their hurting and broken hearts. God, they may not understand at this moment all that they're going through. They may even question your judgment, but I know because of their, keep them up, their lifted hands, they know that you love them and they know that the end is going to be better, so much better. And I pray double blessings upon them for all the troubles they are going through or have been put through in the name of Him who loved us and has called us to succeed and not fail. Jesus, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. And you may put your hands down. Let's give Him a wonderful hand of praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 And then one more prayer before Pastor Rick comes to dismiss us. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, there are people here, I don't know you, and I've seen you out there this morning, but I prayed for you, and maybe you are a follower of Jesus. So I'm asking you right now, if you've never given your heart to Christ, this is the time, and this is the day. You're not here by an accident. And so I just ask you, if you're ready, commit your life to Jesus by praying this prayer with me. Just pray it quietly. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my sins to Calvary. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. I don't understand it all, but I trust you to save me from my sin and myself and to give me a fresh start in life. So as much as I know how, I give my life to you today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Pastor Rick is going to tell you about something we want to give you if you've given your heart to Christ this morning. And if you're our guest today, be sure you stop by and meet me. I'll be at the back. I want to meet you and greet you this morning. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and give you a prosperous and productive week in all that you do. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.